Alright, so we are in a new book of the Bible, book of Habakkuk, and I love this very short book of the Bible. There is so much in here, and uh, we're going to go through this chapter tonight, and then we're going to kind of uh, make a life application and go to one of my favorite stories in the Bible about David and just kind of compare some things. But this particular book of the Bible, or the, and the prophet Habakkuk, he's somebody we don't see him mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. We do see, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul quoted uh, the book of Habakkuk, and also the book of Hebrews uh, quoted as well. We'll probably look at that next week when we're in chapter 2. But this book was written during the time when uh, the Babylon, Babylon was the world power and when they were um, basically taking over the world and they were kind of, there was a long period of time, I'm not an expert in the history of it, uh, but during the time when uh, they took them captive, you know, it didn't happen just overnight. It was something that, you know, it took years a lot of times for them to completely possess these places. And so there was a long period of time where Jerusalem is kind of surrounded by the Chaldeans. They know uh, it's only a matter of time before they're completely taken over. And it was during that time when uh, uh, many of the prophets that we read about and the major and minor prophets were given their prophecies. So Habakkuk, he was around during the same time as Jeremiah who prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem. And then also Ezekiel talks about that. And it was prophesied that they were, they were going to come through they were going to utterly destroy. They were going to wipe out their temple. And so this is before it's gotten to that point. So they're in a situation now where they're looking, it looks bad. Okay, so if we wanted to compare it to anything, you know, kind of look at how we feel in America right now as the government's just kind of closing in and taking over. And they haven't completely taken over yet. But yet at the same time, we just feel them surrounding us. We feel the noose tightening around our neck. And that's kind of how they were. But we see that during this time, while they're kind of being surrounded and they know their days are numbered, instead of them getting right with God and being obedient when they had the chance and they were still able to do some things, we're going to see that the law was slack, that they weren't doing right. They were just kind of using these things as an excuse to not obey God. And Habakkuk has a big problem with that, being a prophet, being a man of God. So let's go ahead and read uh, through this because... Uh, Roughly, if the timelines are right, when he gave this prophecy, this was probably maybe 20 years before Jerusalem was completely destroyed, before the temple was gone. But it was when uh, it said things were closing in on. You know, the Babylonians were taking over the world during this time. And so, uh, verse 1 says, The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. And I want you to notice how what he saw here. It was a burden to him. There are some things that when we have, when we know it, when we have the knowledge of it, it's not necessarily a relief. You know, it's a burden. And it was a burden to him because what was coming for Jerusalem was not good. It was all, it was all bad. And so it said, um, so this vision or this prophecy, this is a bad one for Israel, but it was just, it was right, but it was a, it was still a burden for him knowing what was going to come on his people. It was not something that made him feel good. But notice here in verse 2, it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth 
For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So what Habakkuk's seeing here, this burden, Israel's surrounded by a wicked nation that is more wicked than they are. You have Israel that during this time is very wicked. They had all kinds of problems. And so Habakkuk, he's seeing what's going on. He's seeing what they're surrounded by. He's seeing the wickedness that's going on there. And then he's seeing it affecting his own people to where they're now not doing the right thing. And he's asking when God's going to save them. Like if God gets rid of their enemies, all of a sudden Israel will start behaving itself. And isn't that what we often think? Well, if, you know, if I get my, if God would just help me out with my finances, then I'd start being faithful to God. If God would take care of this problem in my life, then I'd start doing the right thing. You know, how about you just do the right thing? You know, in Israel, what they needed to do, they needed to just do the right thing instead of just worrying, you know, blaming their situation on the Babylonians. In America, as our government gets more wicked, you know what we don't need to do? We don't need to use them as an excuse to not obey God. We just need to obey God. And we can't just, we can't just blame them for all our problems. Say, so you know what the problem is in churches in America today is the government won't get out of the way. You know what? It didn't, that didn't seem to hurt people in the book of Acts. It didn't seem to hurt the early Christians. They actually did pretty good. Maybe we just need to do what we're supposed to do. But you know what? Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so Habakkuk, he's wondering, like, God, when are you going to intervene? Obviously, he's saying this because something needs to be done to the Babylonians, but he's saying this because something needs to be done with your people too. Your people are a mess right now. They're not doing the right thing. Lord, it's time for you to get involved and to do something. Now, be careful ever praying that prayer, asking God to do something. Say, so why is that? Same reason when your kids are having conflicts. Have you ever been there before? Your kids are having a conflict and then they want you to get involved? And you know, after they push it for a while and then I have to intervene, it's usually my mission to make sure both of them regret you know, having this conflict and especially getting me involved. That's usually the way that goes. And that's how it usually is when God gets involved. It's like, okay, you want me to deal with these people? I'm going to deal with them. But while I'm at it, I'm going to deal with you too. And that's exactly what God was going to do. And so Habakkuk, he's basically praying here against Israel because of their wickedness. But he also couldn't understand, and he couldn't understand why God hadn't judged Israel. Like, Lord, why aren't you doing something about this? Why aren't you intervening? And it seemed to Habakkuk that because of God's lack of intervention, everything was a mess. Because in his mind, it appears that, you know, this is why we have a problem. You've not intervened. You've not dealt with the Babylonians. And because of that, Israel's a mess right now. And so these difficult times for Israel, they unfortunately did not draw them to God, but actually caused them to go away from God. And Habakkuk wanted God to do something about it. So in verses 2 through 4, we're reading the words of Habakkuk. But now I believe what we're seeing here is we're reading the words of God. It's almost like we're just kind of reading a conversation, but it doesn't always say who's talking. But it's obvious that the Lord is talking here. And notice what he says in verse 5. He says, Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. So God tells him here, I want you to look out among the heathen. I'm about to tell you what I'm going to do, and when I tell you what I'm going to do, you're not even going to believe what I'm going to do. And by the way, I'm going to do it in your days too. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, imagine if in 2019, I would have come to you and said, you know, while we were all praying for God to just deal with our wicked country, 
If I would have come to you and said, you know what? God is going to deal with our wicked country in 2020. Guess what's going to happen? And then I just proceed to tell you how, you know, they're going to be this virus and everybody's going to go crazy. They're going to make us wear masks. They're going to tell churches they got to shut down and churches are all going to go along with it. They're going to do all these weird, we're going to have to do all these weird ritualistic COVID protocols to make sure we don't get the virus where we got to wear a mask to our table and sit down and everybody's just going to love it. People are going to be wearing masks outside, you know, and then they're going to put a vaccine out there that they just throw together in a few months. And people are going to anxiously take it. You know, if I'd have said that's going to happen, you'd have been like, you've been watching too much conspiracy stuff. I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that. And you know, often God is doing things. God's got things in the work that would blow our mind if we knew what it was. We wouldn't believe it. But understand when those things usually come into play, our attitude is usually, please, you know, don't do that. You know, even though we're all praying for God to judge, you know, we're praying for God to judge America in 2019 in the summer when we're getting persecuted by the Sodomites. You know, and then gets, they get judged and we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> or, you know, the country gets judged like, you know, time out. Be merciful, Lord. You know, let, you know, just hurt them. <laughs> you know, just, you know, not, not, not everybody, not the whole country. But and we're going to see Habakkuk does the same thing. So in verse six, it says, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, okay? The Chaldeans, they're the Babylonians. They became a world empire. Now, what caused them to become a world empire? Was it because of just their great military might and their great wealth and uh, their great kings and all that they had going for them? Or did God raise them up? God said, I raise up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. Now, if we were Rutmanites, the tribes to incorporate all sci-fi fantasy with the Bible, what we would see here is these are talking about those Valkyries, you know, the women that fly on, you know, have on flying horses. They're great warriors. I mean, it says they're flying right there. Isn't that what it says? I mean, do we believe this King James Bible? Right, that's what the Ruckmanites always say before they say something really stupid. But obviously, this is poetic. This is figurative. Just showing that when the Babylonians come through, they're going to come through and they're going to defeat everyone like they're not even there. That's how strong they're going to be. That's how powerful these people are going to be. They are not going to be, or no one is going to be any match for these people is what God's saying. And they're going to come through and they're going to conquer and they're going to do it quickly and they're going to do it fiercely. You're not going to be able to stand up against them. Verse 9 says, They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a scorn unto them and they shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. They're going to get whatever they want. Don't think you're going to be able to stand and fight against these people. God didn't give this prophecy here so they can come up with a better battle plan on how they can defeat these people. God's basically saying they're going to take you guys down. There's nothing you can do about it. Verse 11, Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. Okay. Now remember, in verse 6, God said he raised these people up. But you know what their fatal error is? The Babylonians, as powerful 
as they were. You know what? It didn't last real long. They only had Israel in captivity for 70 years. And then guess what happened? The Medes and the Persians came, didn't they? And then they defeated them. You want to know why? Because all of a sudden, after God raised them up and gave them all this power, all of a sudden, they got it in their head. We did this because of our God. And you know what? God does not like it when people give His glory and His credit to another God. That never goes well. That always ends bad. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, who was uh, one of the leaders there in Babylon, who he got looking at his kingdom one day, and he's like, man, look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. And you know what? God gave him the heart of a beast. God brought him down to a beast for seven years, and then God raised him up again and restored him. Just show him. Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted you up and I can take you down. I'm the one that's in charge. The Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men. And He gives it to whomsoever He will. And God gave the Babylonians their power, but their fatal error was thinking, no, our God gave us this power and not the true God, not Jehovah God. And so God had to show them who was in charge and who was the boss. And that's exactly what God did do. And so... Uh, it's, so in verse 12, we're back to Habakkuk speaking. And he says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. So Habakkuk, he's acknowledging that God is using them for correction. But Habakkuk, we're going to see, does not approve of who God is using to correct them. Now, remember, Habakkuk was just praying, Lord, can you deal with your people? And then God basically tells him, man, not, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to deal them away. I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And then God tells Habakkuk and he, he believes it. But then look what he says in verse 13. He says, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he. He's saying, God, you can't use them. They're more wicked than we are. You're really going to use, you, you, you're, you're going to let these people do all these horrible things to Israel. You know, he, he says, thou art a pure horizon. He's basically saying, Lord, you're better than that, which is pretty bad. You, know, you don't tell that to God. God knows what he's doing. And anything God does is righteous. And let me tell you something. It was just of God to use these people to do it because Israel had it coming. Israel deserved every bit of what they got during this time. God warned them. And He warned them. God kept warning them. God sent all these prophets. God sent Jeremiah. God sent all these prophets to warn them. And yet they just rejected. And finally got to the point where God said, reprobate silver shall men call them. And after that, God basically had Jeremiah preaching destruction with no place of repentance. It finally came to the point, many times when God would prophesy destruction, often there was a place of repentance and sometimes they would, they would take advantage of it and uh, things would be avoided. But when it came to this particular judgment, it did. It finally got to the point where God said, no more repentance. This is coming. And there's nothing you're going to do about it. Seventy years. Seventy years you're going to be in captivity. You all didn't let the land rest. At like every seven years like you were supposed to for 490 years, I'm giving the land that's rest that you didn't give it because you were disobedient to me. 70 years you're going into captivity in Babylon. It was God's 
righteous judgment. You better believe God was righteous when He did this. And so in verse 14, it says, "...and makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping thing that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their tent and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad." Therefore, they sacrifice under their net and burn incense under their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? Now, we're going to have to stop here uh, and, and you know make a mental note of where we're at and what he just said here. But basically, what Habakkuk saying to God is he's saying, these Babylonians, these people that you're using to punish your people, Habakkuk saying they're going to completely wipe them out. They're going to completely, they're going to utterly destroy them. They're not, they're not going to want to stop. And he's basically telling God, you know, you can't do it this way. If you do it this way, it's going to be overdone. They're going to take things too far. And obviously, you know, God knew what he was doing because again, God's in control. And you know, I'm sure Habakkuk was right with his, in his opinion of the Babylonians, if they would have had their way and just done according to their will, unrestrained by God, that's probably what they would have done. But you know what? We see that even during that time of the captivity, God would often move those kings' heart to be good to Israel. I mean, it was God that moved Cyrus to allow commission them to rebuild their temple. So we see God you know, moving the kings to do different things and this judgment that was coming on them, it was God moving them to bring this upon Israel. And you know, if I may just give you a little spoiler alert, one thing that God's going to show Habakkuk is that so these people who I used to judge my people, because they touched my people, I've raised up another group that's going to judge them. Because understand... God does deal with His people. Alright? And God does sometimes even punish His people with the wicked. That, and the title of this message, this is where I want to make some life application, but it's basically just, you know, God's judgment on His people. And how does God, how does God judge His people? This is something that we see, and this is something we need to recognize even today in our own personal lives. We need to understand that, you know, just because we're Christians, doesn't mean we're never going to get punished. In fact, it means we will get punished. And did you know sometimes God might use wicked people to do that? God might need, you know, God might use some wicked person out there to kind of straighten us out. It's like, well, they can't, you know, they can't touch us. Well, they can if God lets them. And if they do, God's going to come down on them. And so I, I want to, and, and to kind of help illustrate this, I want to go, I want to go to one of my favorite stories in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 16. I love this story mainly because I'm impressed with people who have just a lot of self-control. And the amount of self-control that David had in the story, I think is amazing because David is under the judgment of God right now in the story. David, man after God's own heart, is under the judgment of God. Israel, the apple of God's eye, they were under the judgment of God, weren't they? And Hamakkah, when the Babylonians came, they were under the judgment of God. So I want us, what, how are we supposed to respond? What are we supposed to do when God is dealing with us? When God is judging us? This is, this is a very important lesson because, listen, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. 
We are all going to be on the receiving end of judgment sometimes. And you know what we don't get to do? We don't get to do like Habakkuk. And whenever, if we're being judged at the hands of sinful men, we don't get to just point at them and say, they're worse than we are. No, they might be, that might be true, but it doesn't mean God's not still dealing with us. It doesn't mean that we're not still in trouble. Now, look at 2 Samuel chapter 16. We see a, uh, an example here of, I believe David, you know, this is part of the judgment, what's going on here. It says in verse 5, And when King David came to Behurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David. And all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out thou bloody man and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai unto the son of Zeruiah unto the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. I like that guy right there. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed. And he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed himself there. So this story here, I mean, this was a tough time for David. Now remember, David had committed that sin with Bathsheba and I believe this was part of the judgment that he was under because of that sin. Now, did God still love David? Was David still saved? Of course. Okay. But God is dealing with him right now. Now let me ask you, this man who is cursing him, who's throwing stones at him, is this a good man? No, it is not a good man. Is everything he's saying in here right? No, it is not right. But notice, David just takes it. David just takes it. Why? Because he just he he want, he didn't care however what everybody else thought. He was worried about what the Lord thought, and he wanted he wanted God to see what he was going through. And I love what he said. He said, "It may be." He didn't know this, but he's like, "I'm going to take this humiliation from this guy who I could easily have one of my men go and take his head off right now." He said, I, I'm going to take it because it may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. You know what we need to do when God, if God, when God punishes us, even if he does it with the wicked? You know what we ought to do? We ought to take it with humility. Isn't that what you try to get your kids to do whenever they're about to be punished? They're about to take their spanking. Don't, don't fight it. Just take it. I, it you know, because it, I mean, let's just be honest, you know, whenever they do, when they fight it and they're struggling, it just kind of makes you more upset, doesn't it? It just makes you want to spank them a little harder, right? But you know, when they just take it, I mean, boy, I mean, what would you do if when you told your child, all right, you're getting a spanking 
instead of, ah, they just, you know, just, and then they just walked over and just bent over. I mean, you know, just, you know, man, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? It's like, man, I don't know if I'm going to swing as hard this time. I just gave all the kids a great tip right there. Y'all try that out sometime. See how that, see how that goes. I, I think it'll, I think it'll work to your benefit. And, but you know, when we acknowledge, when we realize that we've done wrong and we have judgment coming, that's exactly what we should do. Let's show the Lord that we learned our lesson. Let's not fight against it. Let's not just try, let's not justify ourselves. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take it with humility. Notice in verse 6 of 2 Samuel 16. It says, And thus said Shimei, when he cursed, come out. Come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, and whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in mischief, because thou art a bloody man. You know what else we need to do whenever we're getting attacked by wicked people? You know what we do? We ignore the false accusations and exaggerations. Because isn't that what he's doing right here? He's calling him a man of Belial. You know what that's called today in 2021 language? Reprobating, right? He got reprobated. Now, was David a reprobate? No, he wasn't a reprobate. But he just happened to have a knucklehead throwing rocks at him, cursing him, screaming at him, calling him a son of Belial. And you know, you know what David didn't do? He didn't open up his Bible and say, I haven't done any of the Romans 1 stuff. He didn't reprobate him back. You know what he did? He took it. He just, he, he, he didn't explain himself. Hey, listen, I might have messed up in some other areas. I know I sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah and all that, but I'm not a reprobate. Now, he, he didn't do that. He was being punished. And he was, he's being humiliated during this time. And he needed that. But you know, un, this is the way it is. Even when God, if He uses people on the outside, He uses wicked people to maybe straighten us out on some things, understand, they're probably going to go farther than they need to. They're going to use exaggerations. They're going to use extremes. You know what we don't do in that situation? You know what we do? We hang our head for the areas that we're guilty. We take, you know, and we let God worry about straightening all the other stuff out. We don't need to, you know, prove ourselves and everything and just fact check every little thing. And, you know, I mean, does it doesn't really matter anyway. I mean, listen, I don't care what David would have posted on Facebook after that, and I don't care how many likes it would have gotten. It wouldn't have changed this guy's mind. He still would have, he's, once, once you, somebody declares somebody a reprobate, they never take it back. I, to this day, I've never seen anyone take back a reprobation. If you ever see that, let me know. We'll mark it on the calendar. We'll go in the history books. Okay? It never ha- Nobody takes back a reprobation. And, the, and, and unless, and we're, we're going to see where this guy, I think he kind of does later. I've yet to see anybody take back a reprobation, but I think this guy kind of does later. It's pretty, pretty interesting. But, you know, we need to understand that these people out there, the people that God uses to deal with us, you know, they don't know what God is doing any better than we do. Because he's saying here, the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul. You know why he's saying this? Because he's from the house of Saul. But is God doing this because of what happened with the house of Saul? No. You know what? All the things that happened to the house of Saul, God did that. God caused the house of Saul to fall because of his wickedness, because of his stubbornness. Saul lost his mind because of his rebellion. God dealt with Saul. David didn't do that. 
David didn't, now, did Saul think David was doing stuff to him? Did Saul think David was talking about him behind his back and, you know, posting things about him in his secret Facebook groups and all that kind of, did Saul think David was doing any of that? Yeah, he thought he was doing all that stuff. Saul throwing spears at him because he was losing mind. You better believe he was doing all that kind of thing, but David didn't, never did a thing to Saul, but he sure thought he was. And so this guy, because he's from the house of Saul, yeah, all this bad stuff is happening on you because of that. No, it wasn't because of that. It was because of his sin with Bathsheba. That's why this stuff was going on. But he's using this as an opportunity just to hate on David because he just he hated David. But he didn't know what God was doing. And you know what? Don't you, don't you just assume that you always know why God's dealing with people. And just understand, that's a good example of the judgment that you will be judged with when you judge. All God's, you know, their car broke down because they didn't pay their tithe. I mean, you better pay your tithe all the time. Or guess what's going to probably going to happen to your car when you don't pay your tithe? You better watch how you do that kind of thing. You know, I mean, anytime something bad happens to somebody, there's always that clown out there declaring it God's judgment for whatever they did to them. And the truth is, it might, it might just be God testing them. It might not be the judgment of God. But even, you know, and when that kind of thing happens, you know, we don't do, we don't respond to it. And, you know, there's people out there just waiting for something bad to happen here just so they can declare it the judgment of God. And, you know, and if, and if, if they don't know, they don't know. And if people do declare something bad, you know, what we do, we ignore them. You don't, you don't pay attention to these people. You see, Shimei here too, or the, uh, no, um, when he's, you know, this, yeah, this man, Shimei, that's cursing them. Understand, too, this guy is just throwing a tantrum because he's losing relevance. The house of Saul's done. They used to be on top, didn't they? But now God has removed them. God's replaced David. And this guy, who probably used to be kind of a big shot, is nothing anymore. So you know what he does? He throws a hissy fit, throwing rocks at David. And I think that's uh, pretty, shows the character of this guy. So in verse 9... Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Hey, now, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're not, we, we don't need to defend ourselves in these things. But let me say this too. All right, let me just say this, you know, some of the men in this church. You know, I do appreciate the fact that sometimes I have to stop you from trying to take people's heads off. That means a lot to me, okay? You know, I, I appreciate the fact that when you all see me being attacked, that sometimes you all, you all are ready to start chopping off some heads. And I believe you could do it too. You know, I, and, and it does. It, it makes me feel good, but at the same time, it's like, sometimes I guys go, hey, let's put up the sword, boys. You know, let's, let's let God deal with this. I would rather deal with it too. Trust me. I would, I would love nothing more than to, you know, recruit my own mob. And you know, stick y'all on people, I, you know. But can't do that. I, I've said for years. This is one of my favorite stories about, about David. And I, I love this story. I love the self-control. I mean, this guy's king. He could have done this. He could have ended this guy right there. Who else is going to go cursing David if David goes and has that guy's head cut off? Wouldn't that solve the problem? Well, it might solve the problem with a bunch of you know has-beens that are out there throwing rocks at him and cursing him, but it wouldn't have gained him any favor with God. And that's who David's trying to impress right now. That's who David's wanting to get a hold of. So I, I, I think this is just an amazing testimony of David. So the last thing we need to do is just let God see 
that we've acknowledged our sin and we trust His righteous judgment. Again, now we all know we're not going to see our kids do this kind of thing. But you know, just imagine again too if you know when you're if when you are having that talk with your children, you know, why did you hit your sister? You know, and well, what do you think we ought to do about it? You know, if you ever ask your kids that, you know, what do you think we should do for punishment? How many of them ever said, I think I probably need seven or eight really hard slots. <laughs> they, don't, they don't usually do that, do they? You know, you, usually, you know, it's like, well, Dad, I, I think you ought to just completely let it go and act like it never happened. I think I learned my lesson. I think this talk was really inspiring. You know, uh, but, you know, what if... and it. I don't think any of us parents expect our kids to do any of these things. Okay, All these things we talked about tonight, if my kids came and did it, that to me, I would be going and having their brain scanned or something like that. Like, what happened? You know, what, an alien take over my child or something like that. You know, we, But at the same time, okay, I'm talking to you all as adults. Okay, I'm talking to you as mature Christians. Okay, We expect kids to behave this way, but what, why can't we as adults, who we, we know what we would do as parents... If our children responded this way to the judgment that was coming, so why can't we do that with God? Why can't we respond that way and just trust His righteous judgment? And if we're dealing with a problem, just say, you know what? We got this coming. You know, not, let's not do like Habakkuk and pay, you know, say, no, these people are so much more wicked than, you should be taking care of them. Well, here's the thing, if they are that wicked, God is going to take care of them. Now turn over to 2 Samuel 19. Because again, you know, this, I, just, I think this is a fascinating story. It's an amazing story about David. And it says in verse 16, And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was of Bahurim, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him, and they went over Jordan before the king. And there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan. We've got a different attitude now. Last time he was cursing him, throwing rocks at him. Now he's falling down before him. And he said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, Neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day my lord the king went out of Jerusalem that the king should take it to heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death? He still wants to take his head off. I love this guy. Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerah? Every pastor needs that guy in his church. He's always got to like calm down from just like taking somebody's head off, figuratively speaking. I think these are good men. These are good men to have. And I think this, and I like this guy. He said, What have I to do, ye sons of Zeruiah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die, and the king swear unto him. And I love it because uh, let me tell you too. Okay, I you know I have had 
so many times, uh, just in the last year, where just like known railers have come and apologized for their railings against me. Now, here's what's funny about railers. They can't stop. Okay? They, if a railer ever apologizes to you for railing, it's because they know they've crossed a line somewhere and they're afraid they're going to be the next one getting railed against. The one thing that a railer fears more than anything is being the one being railed on. You know, the, the person in a lynch mob, what they fear more than anything is them being the one being lynched. And that's why they're always so quick to, you know, get on board with whoever the lynchings for just because they're just glad it's not them right now. Because it's like they know their day's coming. And so they, they hope it's going to wait as long as possible. But here, here's what's funny. Almost all of these people who have done this with me, as soon as the wind shifts again, they go back to railing on me. And I, you know, and I, I, I probably shouldn't tell too many stories. I, I've had some in particular that was funny. And uh, there was an individual that uh, they, they thought somebody on Facebook went to our church who doesn't. And they like contacted me, want me to tell this person to take something down. I'm like, they don't even go to my church or anything like that. But anyway, this person who had railed on me, you know, they apologized and were all that. And so I did. I just, I messaged them and I said, listen, I said, they apologized, you know, and, and, and I'm telling them, you know, hey, could you maybe go ahead and just, you know, back off here. And it was so funny because in my mind, I'm thinking, he doesn't mean it. But you know, when somebody apologizes, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt, don't you? You have to. Somebody asks for forgiveness, you got to forgive them. And you got to keep forgiving them. I know it's one of those rules we don't like, but it's what we got to do even when we know they probably don't really mean it. And it was so funny because when I told him, he was just like, he doesn't mean it. This guy's a liar. He's like, you know, he, you know, he came apologizing to me like a dog. It was, it was so funny. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking You know why? Because he was scared because he thought he was going to be the one getting railed on next. And sure enough, he said, he was right back to it. They, they can't help it. These people can't stop. But, you know, here's the thing about it. I, 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 and this is what I tell people all the time. God is going to deal with these people. They are going to get what's coming. The people who throw rocks, the people who throw out the accusations, they are going to be dealt with. The people that we have throwing rocks at us right now, trying to just bait me into making videos and doing all this junk. Okay, you know what that is? That's throwing rocks. That's what it is. It's throwing rocks. And you know, I want to throw rocks back. But I've talked about the story too many times and how awesome David is. And I'd like to think that's what I'd have done too. I'd like to think that I'd have that attitude. And you know what? That's the attitude we've got to have. Say, but what? You know, something's got to be done. It will be done. I promise you. I promise you it will be done. God always deals with these people. And here's what we need to do. We've got to understand we've not been perfect in the past, have we? I know I've made mistakes as a pastor. I've done things wrong. Obviously, you know, anytime you get busted and you actually do something wrong, people always do make it more extreme than it actually was, don't they? I mean, isn't that what we see this guy doing right here in the Bible? I mean, yeah, okay, I messed up here, but good night, it wasn't that bad. And, but isn't that what every kid thinks too when they're getting spanked? Well, I didn't deserve one that hard. I remember my sister, whenever she would get spanked growing up, it was one of the funniest things. When she'd get spanked, one of the things she would often do is, you know, she'd get just like maybe one good swat and then she was like, ow! You know, and then just like look at my mom like, that hurt? And it was just like, it's supposed to. 
But that was just kind of a rebellious way of saying, I think you overdid it, Mom. <laughs> and, you know, what we just need to do, if we're dealing with something because of a mistake, even if it gets excessive, even if people overreact and get extreme, you know what we just do? We just take it. We, you know, let's not keep score. Okay? I'm not, I, I don't want to keep score. Uh, I, I'm not interested in that. I'm not, I, I don't have like a, a point system. All right, well, they did this to me and I can do that back to them. You know, I've talked to people like that before where you start talking about some of the back and forth and it's like, I literally think they do have a point system. And the thing is, the points always work to their favor with the system that they came up with. And the, and the, and the rules seem to change as the game goes. Listen, you're not going to win with people like that. You're not going to accomplish anything. So you know what you do? You just, you take it. And eventually, maybe they'll apologize. Maybe they'll grovel. Probably not. They might. But here's, here's what I love. This is the best part of this whole story because I, I don't know how many years has passed, but turn over to 1 Kings chapter 2. Because again, what this man did to David, this was very evil. He had no right to do this. David was the king of Israel. David was under the judgment of God, but this guy took it too far. And so, but David t promised, I'm not going to kill you. Okay. You know what? That needs to be our attitude when it comes to our enemies. I'm not going to kill you. Right. But look what it says in 1 Kings 2.7. But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. So this is from the same time that this story, this story with um, Abishai, uh, or uh, Shimei happened. We had some people who were kind to him, so he's telling Solomon, do good to these people. But then he says, and behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Behoram, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with a sword. But he didn't say, my son won't ever do it. <laughs> He didn't say the next king won't. He says, Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him, but his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. Now, here's what's fantastic about this. First off, I love it that Shimei got what he had coming to him. Okay? But at the same time, David didn't get to see it. This is something that happened after David was gone. And you know, one of the reasons that we often get out of line and we get ourselves in trouble when people do things to us is because of the fact that God doesn't do things in our time. We want to see it done. But you know what? We just need to understand that we don't have to see it done. A lot of times when God judges people, we don't even see what's going on. We don't know what's happening in people's marriage, what's happening in their personal life. You know, a lot of times God might be judging people in ways that we can't even imagine. And it's not like they're going to have enough humility to admit I'm being judged right now and tell everybody I'm being judged right now because of what I did to Tommy McMurtry. Nobody's going to do that. But yet at the same time, God is going to deal with people. And so from the, back to the, the book of Habakkuk, when God deal, was dealing with Israel, God was using a people that were more wicked than they were. But this was what God wanted to do. This was God's judgment on Israel. 
and God had a plan to take care of them. And you know what? It wasn't Habakkuk and Israel. It was really none of their business what God was going to do with the Babylonians. You know what their business was to do? It was for them to get right. What they needed to focus on is, you know, we need to get our act together so God doesn't need to judge us. Because they couldn't help the Babylonians. But isn't that how we often are? Where whenever we're going to get dealt with, just like your kids, whenever you're going to spank one of them, well, what about my brother and sister? Isn't that what they always do? You know, why don't they just say, I deserve it. And, you know, and just leave it at that. But no, what do they, what do they want to do? Well, Allie did it too. Have your kids ever done that? They're going to get your spank for something? They did it too. It's like they've got to be included in the punishment. That's a bad attitude. All, and all these attitudes we're talking about there, they're very childish. And every, I can tell by the looks of every parent in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about because all kids are the same with this. But you know, we're supposed to be adults in here. We're supposed to be adults. We need to be ready to move on and take it to the next level. And let's learn those lessons that we never learned when we were kids. And whenever God's dealing with us, let's take it. And let's not worry about this, the spiritual status of the people messing with us, throwing rocks. Just take it. Let God deal with them. And if we see it, we see it. If we don't see it, we don't see it. But you know, I've got a Bible that's just full of examples of the righteous judgment of God, of God righting wrongs. And I don't think he's going to change on this. I think he's going to keep doing what he's going to do. And so I think we need to have a David attitude. And if you are, if you're dealing with something, take it. Don't have this attitude every time something bad happens in your life. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Don't have that attitude. You know what? When something good happens in your life, you ought to be thinking, why do good things happen to bad people? Or why are you blessed? That, that should be our attitude. But unfortunately, that's lacking in many Christians today. And so I hope you found some inspiration from Habakkuk. And, and next week, I'm looking forward to talking about how God's plan for dealing with those Babylonians. It, God, God has, He sees so far ahead of what we do. We only think a couple steps ahead. God declares the end from the beginning. And so while we don't always see how things are playing out, and it's like, this isn't looking real good, God already knows the end. It's like, and you know what God's thinking? This end ending is fantastic. And we just got to wait and just enjoy the suspense. The more suspense, the more enjoyable it will be when we finally get to see the ending. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example. Help us to learn from this. Dear God, I pray, Lord, whenever it does come time for you to deal with us, that Lord will take it. We'll just uh, take it. Be thankful for your uh, mercy and your goodness that we don't deserve. Help us not to be worried about uh, you know, how we're dealt with or who you use, but help us just to focus on what we're supposed to do and making sure we get our hearts right and uh, we do what we're supposed to do. And, and, and Lord, uh, we don't even need to ask for you to take care of our enemies. Lord, you know you're going to do it. We know you're going to take care of these things, uh, that you're going to right the wrongs. And so just help us to uh, have an attitude like David and to just uh, take it. Uh, help us not to be like a back of Lord with an attitude of, you know, you, you can't do it that way. Help us just to trust your ways. You know what's going on. In your name we pray. Amen. With that, let's